Patrick from the future here. Here's the deal. We lost the video footage of the intro, so I'm going to do it again. Hi, everyone. My name is Patrick Akio, and if you're interested in imposter syndrome, a healthier state of mind, and the origin of a lot of our insecurities, this episode is for you. Joining me today is Alex Ostergaard. He's a life coach that helps people in tech deal with imposter syndrome and find inner peace. And his job history on LinkedIn is one of the best ones I've ever read. It reads like a story, so check it out. All his socials will be in the description below. Check him out. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. Beyond Coding. Inc. Cibia, we're a consultancy company. Uh, and my unit is really flat with regards to hierarchy. So I, mm -hmm. I used to have one people manager and one sales manager, basically. And both of them are there when we do performance reviews. And yeah. they're my managers. Like, I have two. And always when I explain to this to people, they're like, why do you have two? But that's the way we're set up. And then they are responsible for the unit and the unit has mm -hmm. about like 55 consultants. Now we're trying something new because the people manager stepped away, which means we don't really have a, a people manager anymore. Yeah. Um, and we're going to form what they've called team leads. Now I, I don't really like the term team lead, but they're sort of people manager and responsible for a group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, so a handful or maybe two hands full worth. And we're going through the interview process now and I'm like, I really like... I'd really like to do this kind of role, mm -hmm. right? It would be coaching people, helping with personal development, with performance, and more so well-being in a sense. Yeah. And I have in the back of my mind things that I would want to put into practice, but they're not very theoretical. Like I, I do a lot with regards to gut feeling and experience-based <laughs> uh, coaching, I guess. But what kind of resources have really helped kind of you hone your own skills in that way? Yeah, so... I mean, there's many different schools to, yeah. to coaching. So obviously doing coaching courses like is super helpful and there's different different ones you can do, but I don't think any one is necessarily better than the other. It's just, you know, just picking one and, and sticking to that. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess where where I've learned the most has been learning to trust my intuition. Mm. So, you know, we have, well, most of us have the answers within and so when you can trust the process and trust that whatever question you feel like asking, you just ask it and, and you can get, you know, with, with the person you're coaching into that, that state where you fully trust yourself and you're, you're just, just kind of flowing and, and that's where the magic can happen. So, so learning to trust yourself, trust your instincts, mm. uh, trust your own intuition, but that requires being present. It requires... Um, yeah, getting into this this calm state and and not not judging the other person, not trying to uh, respond to what they're saying, just genuinely listening, being present, and that's when you can get to that state. To that, to that state, that's when you know you'll you'll find yourself asking questions where it's, oh, what, where did that come from? And then you know you you'll help the person see see life differently, uh, and that's where the magic happens. So a mix of a mix of doing some courses but also just learning to trust your own intuition yeah i like that a lot i mean the way you describe like active listening in that way uh and asking those right questions in that moment as well i i'm assuming that factors into the trust that you're building with that other person as well yeah like do you do that consciously that that is more intuitively for me yeah but what else would you do to kind of build up a trust relationship with someone well so it's very much in the way you approach the conversation. Mm. So, well, first of all, like 
I mean, there's small stuff like body language, but just just being present with the person, like yeah. you know, really really active listening, like you said. But you wanna you wanna build the trust, and the way the way you do that is by also just seeing them with zero judgment, mm. and so so completely removing judgment from the equation. So whatever the person says, you, you you're not judging them at any point. You're 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 accepting what they say, and and you're like, tell me more. And so you you, you learn to to build the trust um by by not judging them i think that's that's the key one of the key things in coaching is is not judging active listening and and listening with the intent to understand not not to respond yeah but then the the no judging yeah i, I can see how that can be helpful but i i can also see how that can be hard in certain situations yeah. like especially if you're let's say i'm in a team sense right yeah. and i have people that i work with on a day-to-day uh, and in my mind, like I'm a, I'm a very, how do you say that? Harsh sounds harsh. Yeah, but, but we I, all ask. I'm, I'm very, I'm very critical, like <laughs> yeah. first and foremost of myself, but yeah. then also my colleagues, right? Yeah. Like I like to dot the eyes. If something goes well, I'm like, we can still do this and this. Yeah. And something I'm working on is first giving out those compliments of what went well mm-hmm. before I go into my critique in that way. Uh, but with that in mind, like judging is a hard part of that, and mm-hmm. to abstract that away in those conversations, I think can be difficult as well. Yeah. How have you learned to kind of adapt that? Well, I mean, you you basically touch upon it yourself is it starts by learning to not judge yourself. Mm. Because I think there's this amazing quote by Brene Brown who says, we we tend, um, uh, wait, I need to find the right one, but it's like we, we tend to judge in the areas where we're the most susceptible to shame. Mm. And so a lot of the time when we judge others, we might as well be holding up a mirror yeah, uh, and and like you said, like you're very hard on yourself, so then you're very hard on the other people, uh, on your colleagues. So then, if you work on judging yourself less, automatically you're gonna judge people, other people less. Yeah, I like that, but it it's not something I I actively think like, yeah. and it's really hard <laughs> to then like, it's kind of my my modus operandi. That's yeah. just who I am. Like I would think it's hard to remove that because that uh, I feel like is also part of the reason why I've gotten this far in my career or yeah. this early on or what have you um, is because of that kind of drive and criticism and yeah. work, drive to work harder I feel like but I, I know it's not sustainable yeah like, exactly well I mean that's that's one of one of the biggest lies that, that many people believe is that self-criticism is is an actual like effective way to motivate yourself mm. and don't get me wrong it does motivate you but it's not it's not the most efficient way mm. Uh, and that's why, you know, where what 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 actually is a more efficient way is self compassion. So it's actually being kinder to yourself. Yeah. And and it's something that's very hard for us to comprehend. Comprehend, especially you know someone like you. You're you're saying that you're you know you being hard on yourself. Your self criticism has is actually the reason why you're where you are, where you are now. And so I would potentially challenge that because because you don't know what you where you would be if you had been kind with yourself. So yeah. that's one thing. And then if you look at it, well, self, if you if you look at two scenarios where um, there's someone who's super hard on themselves and someone who's super loving with themselves, like who who's more likely to start a business? Yeah. Uh, the person who, if they fail, they're just going to get told off. They're going to get shouted at. Or the person who knows that whatever they do, they're going to be more. They're going to be supported and and. Uh, they're going to be loved, and so obviously it's the the, the latter, right? Um, 
And so what you don't realize is that with self-criticism, you might be holding yourself back from doing things that scare you. You're, you're, you're less likely to do things because you're more affected by the fear of failure and the yeah. consequences of that. And so, like you said, it's not sustainable because in the long run, you actually might achieve less. Uh, and so when you, when you focus on self-compassion and being kinder to yourself, judging yourself less, it actually empowers you to, to do more, to try more things. And, you know, if you think about when we approach a problem from, from like survival mode versus creative mode, you're, you're going to, you know, you're, when you're creative, you're going to find better solutions. You, it allows you to see a, a helicopter view of the big, bigger picture thinking. And so you might solve things, you might, you know, solve problems that you wouldn't be able to solve if you were being so hard on yourself. And so it's, kind of cultivating this healthy environment within you that mm. will ultimately allow you to to do more over time. I like that a lot. Like I've never seen it from that perspective. And when it comes to trying out new things, like I do get that anxiety and that fear of failure, but also because this has been like my mode for so long, like I've, I've figured out how to deal with that. Yeah. And then I feel like, okay, this is kind of where I find my stride and, and, yeah. this is where the anxiety pops up. Like I, I feel it, my heart gets, is beating faster. Like I can, I can face <laughs> myself. I know exactly like the symptoms yeah. and how to deal with that. But when it comes to being more compassionate, I feel like, or, or being more, like I don't even have the words for them. That They're so hard for me, I feel like. How yeah. do you even start with that, being more empathetic towards yourself? Well, there's, there's many different ways, but I mean, the main, the main one you want to look at is Okay, I don't, there, there's two ways I can go, but there, I'll, let's pick, like, like, see two different ways. So the first one is you want to look at what's the reason for this. Mm. And a lot of the time, the reason for this, it, it stems from like a belief that most of us have is that we're, that we've, we, we feel that we're not good enough. Mm. And so that, that's a lot of the, what stems this being hard on yourself. And, um, and like, you know, we're, we all, we're all born into this world being good enough like when you come out as a baby you're just crying and pooping and you know you don't you're not worried about what other people think of you yeah but then maybe when you're three years old you're running naked in the living room and you're going around like whoa having the best time and then someone says go put some clothes on and so you're like oh maybe i'm not enough naked as i am yeah and then maybe the a few years later the teacher asks a question in class and you're like me, me, me i got the answer and you say the answer and it's wrong and everyone laughs at you and then you're like, oh shit, maybe I'm not good enough. Mm. And then you, I mean, one of my, when something that happened to me was I, I get a really good grade at school and I, I'm waiting for my dad to come home, super excited to tell him. And then he says, oh, why didn't you get better grade? Mm. And you know, classic parent <clears throat> response, right? But I remember that. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, <laughs> yeah. most people have experienced that. <laughs> and, and so then you start cultivating this belief that that you're that you're not not good enough um and and through confirmation bias you start seeing it all, everywhere you say i oh, see i'm not good enough i'm not good enough and and the more the more you don't feel good enough the more afraid you are of people finding out mm. and and that that it starts creating this kind of little inner critic in a voice in your head that's constantly telling you you're not good enough you're not good enough and and you compensate you compensate by 
overachieving. You compensate by trying to be a perfectionist. You compensate by doing super well in your career or working at these big, big uh, or great companies. And so that kind of satisfies the need. It kind of, you know, by criticizing yourself, you you push yourself to do more to, to achieve things. But then there's this never-ending sense of uh, it's never enough, right? Mm. And so it's kind of this, you keep pushing the goalposts. Every time every time you achieve, achieve something, you're like, okay, no, and the next thing will make uh, the next thing. And so once you can see that this self-criticism comes from the belief that I'm not enough, well, then you can start questioning that belief and, and um, yeah, realizing that it's not true. So, so that's, that's one, one approach to reducing self-criticism is to change the, the belief that I'm not enough. Mm. But that, that comes through a lot of introspection. It's, it's like a lot, of, a lot of work on yourself and questioning, which is a lot easier to do with a coach than, than with yourself. Yeah. And then the second, the second way, which is kind of also linked to that, is, is taking care of yourself. So it's mm. through self-care. So when we, when we take care of ourselves, take care of our needs, well, so for example, some of my needs are alone time. Like yeah. I need to have some alone time. Another one is physical exercise. Another one is quality time with my partner or quality time with my friends or learning and growing. Um, and so when, when I'm satisfying these needs, well, and when you, when you take care of yourself with good sleep, a good diet, you're essentially telling yourself that you love yourself. Mm. You're telling yourself that you value yourself. And so just by doing these things, you know, you cultivate this sense of self-love and of self-esteem, which means that then you become less critical of yourself. And if you combine that you know, with this belief that I am enough and you can kind of do both of those at the same time, well, you, you become less judgmental automatically with yourself. You become kinder with yourself. Um, and there's, there's also a link here to setting boundaries. So when you, when you say yes to something, you're automatically saying no to something else, mm. right? And so if you don't know what your needs are, then when you say yes to something, you don't know what you're saying no to. So you might be saying yes to a, a late night meeting but what you're actually saying no to is physical exercise or quality time with your partner. And so what that means is that your needs aren't going to be met and then you're just, you're not going to feel as, as, as good about yourself. And it's, and it's, it's just going against cultivating this, this, um, well, this, yeah, self-love and, 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 uh, yeah. I, I really recognize that because Lately, I feel like I've been kind of in a slope, like as you lay out your, your other things that you value and the things you do for self-love, like exercise is one of them. And I, I go bouldering now like one yeah. or, once or twice a week, but I used to exercise more on a daily basis. And lately, time-wise, I don't know why, but work has gotten a bit more, mm -hmm. uh, how do you say that? It's just gotten more in my life in the way that it was before yeah. or compared to the way it was before. And I do feel different. Like I, I felt a few months back, I felt more active, but the way that I've been working now more so nonstop and in overdrive mode, I feel like yeah, I do feel the consequences of that. And yeah. I, I feel like they're not lasting um, or how do you say that? It's again, it's not sustainable, Yeah, um, but it's also hard to get out of that mode. I feel like, because once, once I'm in a stride, I'm exercising every day, I'm eating healthy, I'm spending yeah. the time that I need to, work-life balance is good. It's easy to keep that up, 
but once you kind of go like life goes in a slope again it's hard to get out of i feel yeah. like well the way i see it well it's it's a balancing act yeah. you're constantly you know going back and forth you know testing trying and like the the way i look at at needs they're like these buckets of water mm. so when all your needs are met so when you're you know you have this great work life balance the buckets are filled and this when you're you're at your best you're the most creative you're better at solving problems you know you you just feel great you have you have more patience but then once you some of your needs start not being met the 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 water buckets get emptied then then you you become less good at solving problems you become way more a bit more stressed you're, yeah. you're maybe a bit grumpy you'll, you'll be a bit shorter with people and so it's realizing that there are consequences when we don't take care of our needs and a lot of the time like i i'm a recovering people pleaser mm. i mean, i'm still definitely a people pleaser <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but um we tend to put other people's needs before our own yeah and we do that because it gives us a temporary sense of validation. So it makes us feel good for a very fleeting moment. But the, the actual long-term consequence of that is that it actually reduces our self-esteem. Mm. And so then we need validation even more. Yeah, more of it. Whereas if you were better at saying no to people and, and, and taking care of your needs first, so the, the analogy of like on planes, you put the mask on yourself before you put it on others mm. because you need to help yourself first so you can help others more. Well, you know, when you get better at that, then that increases your self-esteem, which in turn reduces your need to people please. And so that creates like this, this upwards positive, positive spiral where you, where you just, again, feel better, increase self-esteem, you become kinder to yourself, you, you become less dependent on outside things to feel, to feel good about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I feel like I have to figure out my stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it's a balancing act. So it's like, you know because you'll get into a good groove and then yeah. maybe you might overdo the physical exercise and then you neglect the alone time and then or then you you get do you overdo work and so we're constantly figuring this out but the key is just being aware of your needs and being yeah. aware of like what you can actually do to to meet them and it's it's empowering because it gives you way more control over how you feel and you become less dependent on external circumstances because at any point you can always ask yourself Okay, which which one of my need isn't being met? Yeah, and then you might say, ah, oh, yeah, I haven't done physical exercise in, in a long time, or haven't I haven't had some time alone, and so you, you know, then you can set boundaries and tell the people around you, it's like, okay, I need I need some alone time, or I need to go out and do some sport because the impact is that I'm not being present with you, I'm being grumpy, I'm not being my best self, and and so when you learn to do that, you actually you you end up doing more stuff over time because it's it's just a way more sustainable approach and uh, to to living your life is you know regularly taking care of your needs yeah uh, and you know if you're if you focus too much on work and you're not taking care of your needs at, at one point it's all going to crash and so and so it's it's really about thinking long term and 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 the best way to achieve more over time is to just take care of your needs, maybe slow down from time to time so that you can speed up. Yeah, I like that a lot. I feel like after this conversation or after I'm going <laughs> to re-listen to it, no, I, I want to write them down because I, I do have in my head kind of what my needs are, but I feel like if I have them where I can see them, then I can also think of, okay, 
what's going well, what am I meeting, yeah. what am I not meeting? Because also I feel like if I don't like take care of my needs, time also flies by and I feel like where'd the time go? Like we're, <laughs> we're like a week further yeah. and I feel, or I have this feeling of like unfulfillment throughout that. Yeah. And it is something I need to work on. I feel like I, I can see how, because when people say they journal, I have no clue what they write about, yeah. but I more so think that this is what I would want to write about. I feel like if yeah. I know what my needs are then, how throughout the day I have met them, what I feel is lacking. So I can yeah. actively and be more aware of yeah. what I need to work on then as well. And and that's ultimately what it comes down to is is awareness. Mm. And and most of us, we've never asked ourselves these questions. And we go around, you know, feeling grumpy and not realizing what's going on. Because but 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 you know, when you're aware of your needs, then you can actually do do something about it to, to meet them and and the best way like you said writing them down because then then you you remind yourself of them you, you because it's life gets in the way we forget about stuff but then if you have them written down somewhere then you can be oh yeah that's true and you're more likely to meet them more regularly yeah yeah i think so yeah. too i'm gonna i'm gonna start doing that <laughs> i mean on the on the way here i was looking at your linkedin post actually yes. or not not the post but your linkedin profile yeah. and i don't think i've read through a profile with as much joy as oh, reading really? through <laughs> through yours like i don't know if you did that on purpose or if you've gotten that feedback yeah. but when i looked at like your work history right like the companies you worked at yeah you didn't say what you did there you said a lot about your journey there yeah. and your feelings there and it was it was really real i yeah. felt like and i got an insight in your history more so than i do when i'm researching other guests for example on this yeah. uh, on this conversation so first of all that was awesome <laughs> like thank you for that and the second part is something and this is probably going to go down into um, the companies you worked for, but mm -hmm. one of the terms you mentioned was like big tech tunnel vision or big company oh, yeah, big tunnel company vision. vision. Yeah. Is that something you came up with? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Can you, can you lay out what that is and kind of what the challenge is there? I think the first time it started was, so I got an internship uh, when I was a student at Novo Nordisk, which is a big uh, Danish pharmaceutical company. And, and, the the recognition and the validation that I that I got from that uh, made me feel amazing. Mm. And so I remember uh, getting business cards made as an intern for like zero need to them, but just so I could give them out to friends. And I and and uh, I had my badge when I was on the train. I would always make it visible so that mm. the logo was there uh, because it made me gave me the sense of pride, gave me a sense of validation. And so that's one of the first times that I started to identify with the company that I work for. Yeah, um, and so then I I got a job at Google, uh, and a job at at Uber, and it it gave me this sense of like it was because like I said the feelings of not being good enough something I I I had throughout my childhood. Well, working at these companies kind of gave me a shield, a protective shield that made me feel better about myself, or at least kind of allowed me to hide uh, these these. Uh, the feelings of not being good enough that I had. Mm. And so I I got to a point where I was like, well, now I have these companies on my CV. The only, the only alternative is for me to either stay at the company or work at another big tech name. So like that be Facebook or, or Amazon or whatever. And so I kind of had this big company tunnel vision yeah. where for me, the only, those were the only options because if I if I went to another company or a startup, it would people would think, oh, he's yeah, uh, as in he, he's 
you know, that's yeah, a, step a step back, down. a step down, step yeah, exactly. And so so that that limited me a lot and it added a lot of pressure. Mm. Especially, you know, back in the day, there weren't that many big tech companies in Amsterdam. Yeah. And so if I didn't if it didn't things didn't work out at Uber, then like then I was screwed. And so well that's so it, so it added this huge pressure um to 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 do well and and yeah or like yeah do well in the in those companies so yeah but i don't yeah. i don't think it's bad to like where you work and be yeah. proud of the company like you work with because you do cool stuff there and yeah. you're happy right yeah but when does it get like toxic in that way that yeah. you have that feeling of i can't i can't get away from this or i otherwise people look down on me and it's a step down yeah well that's that's when it comes from an unhealthy place yeah and so again, it comes back to this, the belief that, that I'm not enough. And so if you're, if, if you're kind of compensating for these feelings of insecurity by, by working in a place by, well, it's, it's when you kind of depend on external factors to feel good about yourself. Mm. When, when you're putting your, how you feel into the hands of something else. So where you work or your job or your, you know, whether you're going to get promoted. And so it's, you know, putting all these putting your happiness or basing your happiness or how you feel about yourself on external things. And that's when it becomes unhealthy because, because it's, it, it, it makes, it makes it, well, it gives a lot of pressure. It puts a lot of pressure on you to succeed and, and do well in these things. And, and like most of us have experienced, like the, it's like I said, the moving the goalpost, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, Every time you think, oh, then I'm finally going to be happy. Oh, this will finally make me happy. Well, that that never, it's never the case. No, it's the next and, goal. Yeah, because you're putting everything on external things to make you feel good. And if, like, um, I actually haven't watched this documentary, but I've heard it's, I've heard a lot of great uh, feedback on it. There's, it's called The Weight of Gold. Okay. And it talks about how Olympic athletes, so once they reach, once they get the gold medal and they still don't feel happy, the whole world shatters mm. because you know that's there's no there's nothing further than that yeah that's the end goal yeah it's the end goal and then if if they're not still not happy even after that well then a lot of them go into deep depression and and yeah what's left yeah interesting and so uh i think your your question was yeah like that there's there's nothing it's also good to enjoy your place of work but you know what what's What's the difference between it being good and it being unhealthy? Well, the unhealth, the, the answer is when when it's coming from this place of lack as opposed to this place of expansion. Yeah, I get that. Like I, I know a lot of people that work in big tech companies and I, it's hard for me to say if they're happy or not, yeah. but if they're really enjoying their job, like sometimes the way they talk about it, I feel like there is something lacking there. Mm -hmm. But then again, they are at, a really amazing big tech company right yeah. and the benefits and the compensation is amazing mm -hmm. so stepping away from that and getting to a job that fulfills them more is going to be a trade-off right because yeah. they might not have well first of all that stature of working at a big tech company yeah. people might see it as a step down and question it yeah um but in turn they might be unhappy with the position they are at right now yeah and especially in this market when they're seeing linkedin posts and ten thousand people being laid off at a at a um a night's notice i feel like it's very hard to then open up that conversation and be like are you actually happy with what you're doing mm -hmm. 
And even if they recognize that, then what is the alternative? Because they are always going to look at the company that they're at and yeah. look for something similar with regards to yeah. where they came from. Like yeah. I feel like it's really hard to get out of that tunnel vision then. Yeah. Well, and, and that's that's what, you know, a lot of my clients, they they, they suffer with is, is, you know, also when when things are going well and, you know, if you if you feel deep down you're not enough, but things are going well and you keep getting promoted or you get, you know, and a lot of the times when things get hard, people will just put a bandaid over the problem by, I'll get, I'll switch companies. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not happy. I'll switch companies or I'll, I'll move to a different city. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so when you have this kind of progression and you feel like, oh, I'm moving forward, then it kind of covers up these, these feelings of insecurity. But then all it takes is just one event and that can be a bad manager or it can be getting laid off or, or, or not being accepted in a job interview. And suddenly all, all your insecurities will, will come back up and resurface. Uh, and that's, that's the consequence of, of you, again, putting so much weight on external factors to, to feel good about yourself. And so, one of, I mean, one of my clients, um, I mean, there's a few, I have a few examples, but like one of my clients, so she, she was working uh, for a huge tech company, famous tech company, had an amazing job, like career prayer, she got promoted, things are going good. And then she had a bad manager and, and she started doubting herself. She started doubting her own abilities. And so when we worked together, we realized that, yeah, all this was linked to this deeper belief that she didn't believe she was smart. She didn't believe she was, was good enough. And so, so being with this bad manager had, had, you know, brought all, all this stuff up. And so she was, you know, really doubting herself and she was afraid to speak up and, and, and like suffering from stress, anxiety, um, because she was afraid of being, being found out. Yeah. And so then, so we worked together and we, we, we worked on changing these beliefs. We worked on, on her getting to know herself better so that she could start, you know, trusting herself again and, and knowing herself so well that she doesn't need to be anyone else. And, and realizing that actually this, this came from, from childhood because she had always been compared to her brother and her parents had always said, oh, you're the, you're the smart one, you're the smart one. And so she felt this pressure. Yeah. And, and, and so it was just a lot, of, a lot of pressure, whereas deep down she always didn't feel enough. So we uncover these things. She starts taking better care of her needs, like getting to know her values uh, and, and also building up this courage and learning to do things scared. And, and just within a few, few months, she completely turned things around and she, uh, she actually, you know, switched roles within the company because she was confident to do that. Uh, got, you know, found, landed on a much better team. She got promoted uh, and, and just everything fell into place for her. Yeah. Uh, and all that came from getting to know herself and learning to trust herself and not putting all this weight on external factors and how well she's doing and how how what how other people perceive uh, how, her or how well they think she's doing yeah yeah i feel like it has a lot to do with introspection like knowing what what you're there for knowing your values and kind of the situation as well and assessing it kind of objectively yeah because it's very hard to do that first and foremost you're in there you're also with your own insecurities you can get emotional with that way yeah. It's easier to shut down. Like it's just easier to neglect it, yeah. rather than looking at it objectively. Yeah, and and then it's there's really this idea of when you're in survival state, mm. you're kind of 
clawing to 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 or to survive like you're not you're not you're not seeing the bigger picture you you the way you'll look at your problem is 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 going to be different than if if you were in a good place and you go oh okay yeah, maybe I can do this I can do that and and so it's hard to get out of it and 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 that's why it's it helps to like speak to people speak to friends or get a coach because someone can jump in there with you and tell you okay let's let's figure this out together yeah uh, as opposed to you having to to do it by yourself and that person might be able to look oh look at this perspective and look at it from this way and you'll be like oh yeah that's true i hadn't seen it that way and so that's why that's why it's important to open up about struggles like this and yeah and and not try to fix it by ourselves because we're we rarely will be we're not equipped to to fix it in the state that we're in because we're in survival mode so automatically you're not seeing things uh in a in a way that might help you get out of it yeah exactly i think it's it's interesting that everyone has their own insecurities right and in in different ways with different causes whether it's childhood or yeah. something that someone said and then something happened like I think I shared this with you in my intro call. I I used to before I joined Xebia, I used to work at another company and Xebia consultants were there. And they were the first people like coming out of uni that I thought okay, these people really know their stuff. Like I go to them, they instantly have an answer. Like these guys are legit. And I was like, okay, what does it take to work with you guys like at that company? And they were like, yeah, you got you got to have like 4 or 5 years of work experience. <laughs> like that's the bar minimum before we look at anything else technical skills wise. So then I, I left that company and through a recruitment agency, they put me in front of this door, in front of Xebia's doorsteps. Um, and I was like, okay, let's try it, I feel like. And I got in. And then because I had that experience in the past, I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like Something <laughs> happened and I'm in, but I'm not supposed to be in because uh, I didn't have that bar minimum, right? Yeah. And that always was in the back of my mind, like, it's so weird that I got in because I wasn't supposed to be here. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Someone must have made a mistake or something. Yeah. And with that in mind, that was always in the back of my mind. So when people would say something they appreciated about me, I would kind of discredit it more yeah. so because of those insecurities, because I had the feeling that I didn't belong. And yeah. it, it took a long, long time before that actually uh, like faded out. Yeah. A lot of conversations with a lot of people uh, learning about myself and what I add to a team other mm -hmm. than like technical skills in that way. But man, it was a journey. And yeah. I feel that with new people that they come in, I, I feel like they're going through a similar journey yeah. in their own way, obviously. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm there for them to offer perspective and to help. I just sometimes don't have a clue where to start. Like I yeah. feel like having a conversation is the best thing I can do. I yeah. think I'm a good listener. Uh, and I'd like to think I asked the right questions, but from there on, I don't know what to do other than offering perspective in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, you can't help someone if they don't want to be helped. Yeah. So I think it's also up to, up to these people to, to reach out and, and to, to try to figure it out, whether that be talking to a therapist or a coach or reaching out to, to friends, but yeah, well, that's that's the first thing I would say, and then, and then everyone's on their own journey, and and it's like you're you're you overcoming that fear and and overcoming the these feelings of imposter is also part of what made you who you are today. And so, if if you can embrace that and 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 just you know see it for the opportunity that it is, yeah, uh, instead of 
seeing it as a bad thing and like we all we all have these feelings like it's i think there's 70 percent of people will feel like imposters at some point in their life yeah. so it's it's very common and it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by ricky gervais who said the best advice i ever see ever received is no one else knows what they're doing either yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. i really like that and so it's true like none of us really know what we're doing i mean we can pretend like oh yeah i know what i'm doing but like Deep down, none of us really, really know what we're doing on this planet. Like, yeah. Um, and and so when you can connect with that, then I find that quite reassuring. Um, and and yeah, so we're we're all on this journey trying to figure it out. Yeah, I feel like looking back now in the way I grew up, like there were times where I care what people think of me, yeah. and times where I don't care at all. Right. Yeah. Like I was a person that throughout high school and uni, I didn't have any social media. No Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter, no nothing. Because I also didn't really care about like having the highlights of other people's lives always <laughs> thrown in my face. Yeah. And I didn't want to share any of my highlights. Um, but all of a sudden, when it came to work, that's where I was like, okay, I do care what these people think. <laughs> they're, they're more so my colleagues. And it's, it's weird because I didn't really used to care what other people thought of me, like yeah. friends or, or more so family, like some relatives, obviously. Uh, but when it came to colleagues, obviously, or not obviously, all of a sudden, that was real for me. Yeah. I did care. Yeah. And I, I held a lot of value in what they thought of me in this kind of high-pressure environment yeah. where I thought everyone's really smart and really good at what they do. Yeah. I also wanted to belong in that way. Yeah. So that is the first time where I was like, okay, in this environment, like it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I, I might challenge the fact that you when you say i didn't care what people think of me you probably did care but then you avoided yeah, avoided it right yeah um and so because it didn't affect you no whereas then when you in the workplace like it affects you because they i guess your colleagues you know you get the feedback on whether you're whether you're good enough to keep your job yeah uh, and so so there what they think of you becomes important because it's you know, it's linked to your ability to earn money, uh, and and especially if you're attaching how some part of your self worth to how well you're doing. Yeah. Well, well, then they they influence that. They have an, they have a say in that, and and so so it makes sense that that you would, uh, you know, put so much value on on what they think of you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because I was yeah. being judged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah. And and, it, and you said belonging in it because that's what it ultimately comes down to, is is the fear the fear of judgment comes from or the fear because if we're judged like if you think of it from an evolutionary perspective yeah if you if you get judged or if you if if you're like deemed to not be good enough then you, you get rejected by the tribe and you die yeah so from an evolutionary perspective like it makes sense that that we would fear judgment because it's essentially fearing death mm. but 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 right now there is no danger of death. Like, so we, but, but sometimes I guess our, our bodies forgets, forgets that. And we forget that if we do get judged, we're still going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's just an interesting uh, take on it as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's also interesting because like I do this podcast and I told you before the show, like, my the person i started it up with said i'll facilitate everything you need and i raised my hand real quick not thinking about any yeah. of the consequences basically <laughs> yeah. 
And a lot of my colleagues, or new so or more so new people as well, ask like, weren't you afraid of what people were gonna think of you, like judging your voice or what have you? And those thoughts didn't even cross my mind. Like yeah. I had so much fun throughout the process, especially early on, because everything was new yeah. and everything was being facilitated and everything was going real fast that I didn't even stop and think of what if people don't like the, the sound <laughs> of my voice or anything like that, even like yeah. it didn't even cross my mind, which is like a, I put, put out content for others to listen to and they also have a certain feeling with that and can judge that. Yeah, But it didn't even cross my mind, which is weird because maybe it's a bit more vague. I just throw yeah. something in the fold and I don't really care what people think. I'm happy if people listen to it. Yeah, But the feeling of being judged doesn't really affect me in that way. Uh, the way that it does in real life in kind of a job sense and a work environment sense. That's interesting. And and what, why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, I also had a conversation with an adult, knows this, we'll, we'll chat about it in a bit, where someone said they really had a hard time asking for help at work. Mm -hmm. And for me, I had no problem with that because again, I didn't really belong here. So it was obvious I needed help. Yeah. So for me, the step of asking for help was yeah. a really small one. I mm -hmm. was like, I... I I can figure it out. It's going to cost me like five to 10 hours or I can ask someone in five, 10 minutes, we're done. And I know what I need to do and I can I can continue and be more helpful than I would be researching yeah. versus actually delivering in that way. Yeah. And it's also some of the uh, points that my colleagues gave me as advice because when I would go into research mode and when I would shut down, that would be the feedback that I would get. Yeah. You weren't really delivering. You were more so on an island by yourself. <laughs> we're in a team and we can yeah. do this together. So I ask for help when you need it. But I feel like not everyone has that. Some people, when they really look up to someone, mm -hmm. they feel um, kind of a hurdle in asking yeah. for help, right? Yeah. Because it affects them. It makes them come from a more so vulnerable place. Yeah. I just didn't see it that yeah, <laughs> way. Well, I think like in, imposter syndrome or feelings of fraud, it, it affects people in different ways. And yeah. there's there's a researcher called... I think Dr. Valerie Young, and she she came up with the five types of imposter syndrome. Mm. And so you have the the perfectionist, so that's the one everything needs to be perfect, and they're not allowed to make mistakes. Then you have the the natural genius, mm. so that's someone who, and this this is what I could relate to is I, like when I was younger, I was naturally good at things, uh, so I was good at sports, I was good at school. Yeah, but then the problem with being naturally good at things is that when you face something you're not naturally good at, it's it feels awkward. terrible it feels, yeah. and you avoid these things. And so, so you avoid the things you're not good at. And so that's, that's another type the nat natural genius. Um, then you have the soloist. Mm. So that's someone who never asks for help. They do everything by themselves because they're afraid, like you said, of being vulnerable and, and making them look weak. Uh, then you have the expert. So this person who needs to know everything about everything before they start. Yeah. And then you have the superhero, which is the person who, that who just works outworks everyone and it's super super hard and so so like yeah imposter syndrome it it can it comes out in different ways and so some people won't struggle to ask for help uh some people that's the worst thing they can do yeah um but yeah ultimately it all it comes down to yeah, this this belief that i'm not enough and the different experiences that you've had throughout your life that have maybe made you afraid to to raise your hand maybe made you afraid to ask questions yeah. Uh, or af more afraid to be judged by others. So so there's different, it, it comes up in many different ways. Yeah, interesting. Like uh, I had Anna McDougall on and it was about a year ago and she said it has a lot to do with pride. Yeah. Basically, you feel too proudful to 
either say you don't know or ask for help or put yourself in a vulnerable position because of your pride. And she's yeah. like, if you put that pride away, then we're all equal. We're all yeah. the same. We can ask each other for help. Yeah. doesn't matter what our position is or seniority. If you don't know it, the worst thing you can do is be like, oh, I know it or spout yeah. some nonsense for other people to believe or think you believe. Think, make them think that you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that took a while. Um, <laughs> And she says it has to do with pride. And I never yeah. looked at it from that perspective. Yeah. I think there might be a truth in there. Uh, but similar to what you're saying, people show their insecurities in different way. And their mm -hmm. behavior also changes based on uh, what kind of their mode operandi is. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, it's also linked to the ego, which is similar to pride. But it's, it's also, you know, we, we come up with different strategies to, to overcome this. So, you know, some people will... Um, like for, for example, one of my clients, he was bullied when he was in high school. And so, you know, that made him feel inferior. That made him feel not, not good enough. Yeah. But then he created a strategy to help uh, compensate, overcome that. And that strategy was, you know, always be strong. Mm. Um, you know, so he focused on always being strong, never showing weakness. Yeah. And, and okay, that worked because it helped him, you know, get through life. But, but then actually there's, that that ends up holding him back mm. uh, because then he couldn't express his emotions or he couldn't show weakness so he couldn't ask for help ask for que uh, ask questions and and so that actually ended up holding him back so yeah. we, we all have these different strategies that we put in place to to kind of protect ourselves from from insecurities that that come from our childhood uh, and and they, those end up they show up now yeah um and like it's there's this funny way of looking at it is that we a lot of things something might happen when you're six and it doesn't have to be like these big traumatic events it can be something as simple as you know like we were talking about as your the your parent one of your parents telling you why didn't you get the better grade yeah and so in the mind of a six-year-old so with the the knowledge and understanding of a six-year-old you you interpret that in a way that's like okay my love is conditional uh, so in order to get love from my parents, I have to succeed in life. I have to do well. Yeah. And so you create a strategy, which is like doing well, like working at good companies, getting promoted, getting a good salary, having a house that, that essentially makes you feel loved by your parents. But, but then now you're, I mean, I'm in my thirties and you're, you're running the same program that was designed by a six-year-old. Mm -hmm. So you're you're doing the same things to feel loved that was designed by a six-year-old. Yeah. And and I don't know if you feel the same, but when when I look back on, on my parents and on my dad for telling me why didn't you get a better grade, like I look back at it now and with my understanding, I'm like, okay, he he just wanted me to do better. Like yeah. he he had good it intentions. Could have been a joke. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so because I understand the world, but then at the time I was six and I don't I I didn't have that understanding and that knowledge, and so I. I interpreted it in that way and I, I created this this strategy to 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 deal with it or to protect myself from it. But I'm still using that strategy. I'm mean, not anymore, but a few years ago I was still using that strategy. Yeah. But it was designed by a six year old. So I mean it's ridiculous. And so many of us we 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 do that. Yeah. Uh, and we don't realize that we're still running programs that we designed when when we were kids when we had a different understanding of the world. Yeah, I, I recognize that one, 100%. <laughs> like the the interactions you have as a child, and I, 
I didn't realize this either like you. They're very unconscious, right? Yeah. And simple words that you just might remember because you remember that instance. Yeah. Doesn't even have to be a, a a big event or something. You just remember it because it had an impact on yeah. you. It left an imprint in your memory in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it does change your behavior. Yeah. Which is so strange. Like it, it also <laughs> makes me think parenting is really hard. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and it's not about blaming because yeah. because every every parent comes with baggage from their previous parents and everyone's doing their best, right? It's not about blaming, yeah. but kind of understanding where that comes from. And there's there's one of like a a coach that I that I follow, he's called Rich Litvin, mm. and he says, even though he's one of the best coaches in the world, he says, like, one day my my kids, they will go to therapy because of of something I told told them with, with zero intention of, of hurting them or harming them. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that you can't control that. Like as in it's we're gonna we you're gonna mess up uh, as a parent because it's so complex and so hard and it and it takes nothing, right? It takes just one comment. Yeah. And but because you're dealing with children who who have a different understanding of the world and they interpret things in 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 different ways. Well, then it's so easy to 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 do something like that. So you can't you can't blame your parents because because they're just doing their best. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I feel like that it's not right or wrong, right? No yeah. one can say what is right or wrong. Things just yeah. happen, and they just happened. Yeah. So then learning that, accepting that, and figuring out like we just have to figure out a way to deal with it after it has happened because you yeah. can't really prevent it from happening. Exactly. I think it's going to put your mind at ease as well. Yeah, and it's part of it's part of what makes you who, who you are, and you know, it's 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 the fun part of life. As in, life has ups and downs, mm-hmm. and often it's in the downs that we learn more about ourselves, that we discover things about ourselves. And so, like, it's in it's during my breakthroughs or breakdowns that I've had the biggest breakthroughs. Yeah. So I had a burnout when I was was at Uber, and so at the time it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me but now i look back and i'm like i'm so happy that that happened because it it put me on a different path and it it allowed me to to see things differently and and start looking internally for for solutions as opposed to depending on the outside to make me feel good and so yeah once you can start embracing embracing these these parts of your life and and learning from them and seeing life as happening for you not to you yeah well then then you're more empowered to to just live the life how you want to live it and 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 find meaning in in these past experiences and uh and that's that's an empowering way to live your life yeah it's the it's the joy of life yeah for sure <laughs> cool man i uh i want to round it off here alex yeah. thank you so much man this was a lot of fun uh, thanks patrick it was really really cool I is there it. anything you still want to share with regards to the things we we covered anything you feel like has left unsaid um no, I think we we covered pretty much everything, and and like yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I've got nothing. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I always throw this curveball yeah, at no. the end with people. So sorry about that. No, that's alright. I love it. Cool. We're gonna yeah. round it off here. Thank you so much for listening. I'm gonna put all Alex's socials in the description below. Check him out. Let him know you came from our show. And with that being said, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one.